Good morning again, saints. Um, if you have your Bible, please open it to uh, Jeremiah 9. We'll be looking at again at verses 23 through 24. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. Who are we as a local body of Christ? Who do we want to be as a cross-cultural, multi-ethnic church? We've been trying to answer those two questions uh, in this This Is Us sermon series. It, this, this series, it causes us to be intentional. It challenges us to make sure that our stated and functional convictions are the same thing. Well, what do I mean by that, Pastor? That means what we say on our website about who we are as a church should actually be true about who we are as a church. That's what I mean. We do what we say we do, and we be who we say we are. So our stated and functional conviction must be the same. So who are we, and, and who do we want to be? We want to be a, a church that actually practices evangelism. Uh, we want to be sharing the gospel with our neighbor and our family members who don't know Jesus. We want to be a church that actually prays, that really bow our heads to God in prayer, because realizing that it takes more than just gifts and resources to do what God wants us to do. It takes the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, and we should be a church that prays for that. We also want to be a church that actually does life together, that actually does life together, keeping sure they actually pursuing one another in relationship, not just getting together on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week, we should seek to do life with one another. We also want to be a church that's actually mercy-driven, mercy-driven, and finally, we want to be a church that's Jesus-centered, Jesus-centered. And if you can remember, we started talking about what it means to be a Jesus-centered church two weeks ago. It means no boasting in self. No boasting in self. A Jesus-centered church doesn't find her glory in herself. She doesn't boast in her own wisdom, in her own strength, in her own riches. Instead, she intentionally decenters self. She intentionally decenters self. Self is taken out of the center, and Jesus is put there. Christ is put there. And that is done through confession and repentance. Because if you're like me, every day I struggle with placing myself at the center. And the only way to deal with that is through confession and daily repentance to God. That's the only way to deal with it. Now, this morning, as we conclude the series, we're going to talk about another aspect of what it means to be a Jesus-centered church, and that is boasting in Yahweh Elohim. A Jesus-centered church boasts in the Lord. And right here in Jeremiah 9, we're going to see that. In this whole chapter, Jeremiah, he, he begins by expressing his grief and lament over the coming judgment towards Judah and Jerusalem because of their rebellion against God. And so if you read Nehemiah, you know he's known as the crime prophet because he's always he's weeping and grieving and lamenting over what's coming and because the people refuses to repent. Also in this chapter, he explains to the people of Israel that Yahweh is just in what he's doing. He's just in the judgment that is coming upon them. And he calls other people to join him in this grieving to grieve and lament with me over the coming judgment. And then in verses 23 and 24, he calls the people to trust in Yahweh and not themselves, to be Yahweh-centered and not self-centered, to boast 
in Yahweh and not boast in self. So, beloved of God, here is God's word to you. Thus says the Lord, that not the wise man boast in his wisdom, that not the mighty man boast in his might, that not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands me, that I am Yahweh, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. This is God's word. Please pray with and for me. Lord, as we come to this preaching of your word, I, I pray again for the outpouring of your spirit that, that he will move and, and he will give us an, uh, the ability to understand and also to submit to your truth. That if he doesn't move in our hearts, nothing happens. Period. I don't care how smart we are. If you don't move in our hearts, we do not submit to scripture. If you don't move in our lives, we don't, we don't submit to you. So, Holy Spirit, you are the counselor. You are our helper. You are the one who, who will lead us into all truth. And, and so you live in everyone here who is a believer. Every person here who, who knows Christ and seven faith, you live in them. So move in them today. Move in me today. Soften our hearts. Soften our minds. And let us come with open hands to the throne through the word of God and let the word of God minister to us today. I pray for all this in Christ's name. Amen. My wife, um, my wife's homemade chicken pot pie is one of my favorite meals that she makes. It's good. I can eat it every day and every week if she makes it for me. And now why, why do I tell you that? Because I'm giving my wife some credit. I'm bragging on her. I'm highlighting her. I'm recognizing her. I'm, I'm giving her some street cred for her culinary skills. Okay? And each of us do the same thing. There are people in our life that we brag about, that we highlight. It could be our kids, our spouse, our parents. It could be friends. We even do it with our sports teams, our toys, our favorite celebrities, believers who are Christian famous. And professional athletes. So you highlight, you recognize, you brag, you, you give street cred. And that's what it looks like to be a Jesus in its church who boasts in the Lord. It's you giving him the same intentional attention. Verse 24a says, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows and understands me. Such boasting is allowed. It is encouraged because it gives the Lord what is due his name. His praise, his glory, his honor, his street cred. God loves his street cred, okay? And he loves his recognition. And so we should give it to him. We should brag on him. We should highlight him. We should bless him. These resurrection stories that we're having, all those stories are about God, us giving God what's due his name because of what he's doing in our life. That's what they're about because he's not done with us yet. None of us are a finished product. Because if you think you're finished, then you no longer need Jesus. Then you're on level with Jesus. There might as well be a fourth person in the Godhead if you think you are a finished product. But none of us are. 
So there's more that we can bless the Lord with. Psalm 34, 1 and 2 says, I just read this for the call to worship. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. People boast in and boast about whatever is at the center of their life. Whatever is at the center of their life, whatever is important to us, that's what we boast about. Or as Trey said last week, the loves that we nurture in our hearts are the ones that we will proclaim. The loves that we nurture in our hearts are the ones that we will proclaim. And you will only do what your heart wants to do in the long run. In the long run, you will only do what your heart wants to do. So boasting in the Lord means you got to have a heart that wants it. You got to have a heart that, that nurtures it. It requires a heart that has actually been changed by the Holy Spirit. That's what it requires. Kids and youth, what do you think springtime represents? Hopefully spring will get here soon. What do you think springtime represents? What does it symbolize? Well, what is springtime a picture of? This is participation for all the kids and youth. So you can talk to Pastor Alex. What does springtime represent? Don't be shy. I know some of you love to talk. So now's your opportunity to talk. What does springtime represent? Trey Williams, you got something? <laughs> I know some of you love to talk. So you're going to answer that question when you get in the car with your parents. Springtime, spring is a season of new beginnings, transformation. It's a season of renewal and rebirth. The grass and the trees begin to turn green. Plants and flowers begin to blossom. Springtime is a picture of new life. And that's what the Holy Spirit is to your heart. He's springtime. He's springtime. He renews it. He transforms it. He gives it rebirth. He gives it new life. Ezekiel 26, 36, 26 and 27 says... Yahweh Elohim says, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The Holy Spirit is the one who does this heart transplant. He's the only one that can replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And it's what we call regeneration. That's what we call regeneration. You get in a new heart. And after the spirit does that, after he changes your heart, then you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and receive it and trust it. Because if the spirit doesn't do his part, you can't do your part. And your part is to respond in faith. So once the spirit does that in you, then you can rest and depend upon Christ alone for salvation. And what is the gospel? What, is, what does the gospel mean? First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.5 says, This is a trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. That's the gospel. Jesus saves through his sacrifice, the sacrifice that he made on the cross for you. And knowing that he died on the cross in your place as a payment for your sins, but do you believe it? And if you don't believe it, you can believe it. 
His sacrifice is what makes it possible for you to be made right with God, to be reconciled to him, to be at peace with him. And all you have to do is confess that you are a sinner, then repent of that sin, and then trust and surrender to Jesus in faith. Because the word says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Saving faith in Jesus is important. You can't be Jesus-centered without faith in him. You can't boast in the Lord without faith in him. And you must have faith in him before you can grow in knowing and understanding him, like it says in verse 24. Faith is a prerequisite. That's what comes before you growing in your understanding and and who God is. On Friday, uh, I attended my son's black history program at his church. It was a good program. It was a wax museum program. Each student had to pick one famous or historical African-American figure to dress up as and to do a report on him. My son chose engineer and inventor Lonnie Johnson. And if you know Lonnie Johnson, you know he grew up in Mobile, Alabama. And so during my son's research, he gained some knowledge and understanding of Lonnie Johnson. He was born in Mobile. He earned a master's degree in engineering for Tuskegee University. He worked for the United States Air Force and NASA. And he also invented the super soaker. So, God, boys, if you got a super soaker gun, Lonnie Johnson is the reason you have that gun, that toy gun. And so this knowledge and understanding of Lonnie Johnson that my son has is general knowledge. It's public knowledge. It can be found in any book or website about him. My son doesn't know Mr. Johnson personally. He doesn't have a relationship with Lonnie Johnson. He doesn't have intimate knowledge of Lonnie Johnson's personal life. He just knows certain facts about Mr. Johnson. You see, the understanding and knowing in verse 24a isn't that understanding and knowing. It's not general facts. It's more than just Bible stories about the Lord God and Sunday school answers about him. It's more than just understanding and knowing certain facts about Jesus' life. It's more than just theological knowledge. This knowing and this understanding is intimate. It's personal. It's relational. To understand and know the Lord God here means you have, you can rightly apprehend him. It means you have right insights and knowledge of who he is. So the question for all of us today is, are we apprehending God rightly? Do we have right insights into him? A Jesus-centered church does have that. My friend, Dr. Carl Ellis, who would be preaching our anniversary service in November, says theology has two sides, a side A and a side B. Side A answers the question, What we should know about God, side B answers the question, how we should obey God. He says theology theology can also be done on both sides of human intelligence. The cognitive side, having conceptual knowledge, and the intuitive side, having perceptual knowledge. The cognitive side is side A, the intuitive side is side B. And And similarly, God has a side A and a side B about him as well. Did you know that? Side A says, answers, Who God is? Side B answers the question, what God does. Who he is, 
and what he does. And his people must know and understand both sides of who he is in order to properly boast in him. Failing to understand and know both sides of God gives you an incomplete picture of who he is. Look at verse 24 again. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the Lord who practices justice and steadfast love and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The words, I am Yahweh, is God's side A. It tells you something about who he is. He's Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God. And if you know anything about God's names in the Bible, Yahweh is his covenant-keeping name. It's his promise name. In Exodus 3, the Lord says to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I shall be remembered through all generations. Yahweh. Side A tells us who God is. It tells us that God is also eternal. Well, what does that mean? That means God has no beginning or end. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around the eternity of God. Because each of us, we came into being. We were created. We, we were born. But this isn't true of God. There was never a time when he didn't exist. Think about that. There was never a time when he didn't exist. He has always been here. Before the foundations of the world, Yahweh Elohim existed in all eternity. Psalm 92 says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are God. He is eternal. Psalm 8 teaches us that God is unchangeable. That means he's the same today, yesterday, tomorrow, and forever. God is not sometiming. Now, we know what it's like for people to be sometiming. One day they like you, the next day they don't. One day they're your friend, next day they're gossiping about you. That's not God. He's not shady. He's not one way today and a different way tomorrow. He has no mood swings. Think about that. No mood swings. He's never unchanged. He's constant, 100% consistent, true to his character, perfect and holy, faithful character. That's who he is. He's also self-existent and independent. This means he's not dependent upon anything to survive. Think about that. We are dependent creatures. We are codependent beings. I don't care how self-sufficient we think we are, we cannot exist without certain things outside of ourselves. We need other things to, to survive. God does not need anything for his existence. He doesn't need anything outside of himself to exist. He's the only being that's 100% self-sufficient all day, every day. And that means we can't colonize God. Okay? We can't. John 5, 26 says, The Father has life in himself. The Father has life in himself. Acts 17, 24 and 25 says, The Lord made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath 
in everything. He's not dependent upon his creatures for his survival. It means he doesn't need your praise. He can get praise for the trees if we don't praise him. Okay? That's who he is. He's also infinite. That means he is without limit. Each of us here, we have limits. We have, our, we have limits in life. God is not bound by limits. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. His power, his presence is infinite. It's endless. Psalm 145 says, Great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is infinite. That's who he is. So his self-existence, his unchangeability, his eternity, his infinity are all part of his side A. It's all part of who he is. And there's even more because he's also creator. I didn't even talk about that. He's also king. And as we see in Christ, he's also father. And that's good news for some of you. He's also a good, good father. And he's also Trinitarian. Well, what does that bit where it means, Pastor Addis? Trinitarian. There's one God in three persons, Father, the Son, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. All of that is part of God's side A, who he is. Side A presents us with a God who is completely transcendent. That means he's separate from his creation. He's not like us. He's other than us, wholly other than us. And as his creatures and as his people, do we know and understand that side of him? Are we believing right things about him? Understanding and knowing who he is as God. Do we have the right cognitive knowledge of God? Where do you go for help with this? What books and Bible studies and podcasts and sermons and music and theologians you go to to help you in this area? Be mindful of the resources you go to to get a better understanding of God's side because some of that stuff ain't worth anything that any of the papers printed on. So be mindful. And also be mindful that side A isn't his only side. And if you think so, if all you do is live in side A, who God is, you will have an incomplete picture of our God. You will have half the knowledge and understanding of him. So don't forget about side B because side B tells you what he does. It shows you that God is also imminent. Transcendent, imminent. Side B tells us that God is fully present in his creation. He is not a clockmaker God. He is present in every aspect of his creation. And it's right here in verse 24. Let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, side A, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, side B. Who he is? What he does, you you must have both. It tells us that Sabi tells us what he practices. It tells us how God carries himself. Okay, it tells us how he behaves, his actions, his conduct. It tells Sabi tells us God's lifestyle. If God had a lifestyle, it would look this way. It says he practices steadfast love in the earth. What kind of love is that? That's a firm, unwavering love. It's commitment, devotion. It's true, uncompromising. It's reliable. 
This steadfast love is faithful love to you. It's his covenant faithfulness to his people that's not based upon what they do. It's a love that never changes, never fails, always promises, and always is true. It's a love that will never let you go, even when you wander into the far country. It's a love that never abandons you, a love that will never forsake you. It's a love that will pursue you to the depths of the earth. That's that love. That's his steadfast love. This love is also gracious. It's a love that we don't deserve, but he freely gives it to us in Christ. This is his kindness towards you. Do you believe God is kind to you? Do you believe that? This love is his unmerited favor towards you in Christ. This love is also merciful because he doesn't, it doesn't give us what we truly deserve. Instead, he gives us compassion. He gives us forgiveness. It's long-suffering. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Let that touch you here. The steadfast of the Lord, love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's his steadfast love to you. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? Psalm 103 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Next side, he tells us that Yahweh Elohim practices justice in the earth. He's always correct and just in his dealings with us. We can never go to him and say, you wrong me. We can never go to him and say, you have misjudged me. You can never go to him and said, you, you have turned a blind eye towards me. His justice is never blind. It's not unequal. It's fair and it's right at all times. But do you believe it? He is a good judged judge. Psalm 25, 8 says, in the Message Bible, it says, God is fair and just. He corrects the misdirected, sends them in the right direction. Our God demonstrates equity in his dealings with us. That means he's impartial, unbiased, without prejudice. He's honorable and upright in all his dealings with mankind. And we have to believe that. Isaiah 61, 8 says, for I, the Lord, love justice. I love that verse. For I, the Lord, love justice. Justice. Psalm 99 4 says, The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Deuteronomy 32 4 says, The rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are justice. And the, and the God of faithfulness, without injustice, just and upright is he. Do you believe that? What, what, when you hear these verses, what does it do for you? What kind of picture do it show you of who your God is and how he works and functions in his creation? Thirdly, Sabi tells us that God practices righteousness in the earth. That means he always does what is right and good without doubt, without confusion, without hesitation, without compromise. And God never has a moral dilemma. 
never has a moral dilemma. He never has a lapse in judgment. First John 1 5 says God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He's 100 percent pure, perfect and holy without flaw, without sin, without corruption, without moral failure. That's who he is. That's who he will always be. That's who he has always been. Now he has always has functioned in this world. Him loving us, okay, is him condescending to us. I said this before. He's the only one who has friends in low places. And we are the ones in low places. He had to come down from glory to love you. Please know Christ being being being. The incarnation of Christ is a humiliation for him. <laughs> you know that, right? It's a humiliation for him. But he did it out of love. He did it out of love for you. Psalm 97.2 Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. His righteousness and justice always go hand in hand. So righteousness, justice, steadfast love are part of God's side B. And do you know and understand that side of him? Do you know and understand those things? Do you believe in those things? He says in verse 24c, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Think about those words. Take them to heart. And please know when he says he's doing these things in the earth, he's doing them towards mankind. Okay? Because we are in the earth. Our God doesn't practice these things out of guilt and duty. He doesn't practice them to pacify us. He doesn't practice them conditionally or selectively. He doesn't practice them with bias. He doesn't practice them because of your performance and, and your productivity and your goodness. He doesn't practice them because of your spiritual disciplines. He doesn't practice them because of your ethnicity or your culture or your economic status. He does these because he takes pleasure in doing them. Know that. That's an amen. Let me, let me dust you off here. Amen. He, think about it. He's tinkled, he's tickled pink to practice these things. He is. He delights in them. Picture of a, of, of a God. By using this word delight, it's, it's an emotional term. Because when you, when you delight in something, do I have to beg you to do it? Do I have to run you down and blow up your phone with text messages to do it. When you delight in something, you do it because you enjoy it. This is what God is saying. I enjoy showing steadfast love, justice, and righteousness to my people. It brings me delight to do that for you. You're harder on yourself than God is harder on you. You hope you realize that. You're more harder on yourself than God is. Because when he sees you, he sees you as son and daughter. He doesn't see what you see in the mirror. He sees someone covered in the blood of his son. That's what he sees. He sees the finished product. We don't see that yet. Because we ain't in glory yet. We just see the struggle. The ups and downs. But when he sees you, that's my son. That's my daughter. 
that I'm going to always love, regardless of what they're going through. God loves both sides of who he is. His side A and his side B. Who he is and what he does. And his people must do the same. A Jesus-centered church loves side A and side B of God. They don't settle just for one side of him. They want all of who he is. All of who he is. And do you love both sides? Or have you separated them? If you live in both sides of who God is, you might not always have the political convictions that you have. Because you would say, maybe God ain't always with my party. Guess what we allow you to say? If you're living in both sides of who he is, you won't have all the certain allegiances that you have with certain groups of people. Because you say, well, maybe my guy ain't always with that group. When you live in one side of who he is, then you make compromises. When you, when you have a whole God, then it helps you stay balanced in life. It helps you have discernment on who you're going to engage in. Cornelius Van Til, he's a uh, old professor at Westminster, at Westminster Seminary, he says, we must pay attention to the whole biblical truth as a system. We become doctrinally one-sided. And doctrinal one-sidedness is bound to issue in spiritual one-sidedness. As human beings, we are naturally inclined to be one-sided. One tends to be intellectualistic. Another tends to be emotional. Another tends to be activistic. One tends to only be prophetic, only a priest, and a third, only a king. We should be all of these at once and in harmony. Think about that. We should be all of these at once and in harmony. The only way you can be that is if you have God's side A and side B together. And when you separate them, you will be one-sided. You will live a one-sided life. A one-sided Christianity. But a Jesus in this church doesn't live in a one-sided view of who God is. She doesn't live in just side A or side B. She wants both sides. She pursues both sides. She lives in harmony with both sides. And when these two are in harmony in your life, you in return will live an A and B lifestyle. You do it, one Christian says. He said this means we will not only have right apprehensions concerning God's nature attributes and relations to man but we will receive and right retain the impressions of them in our life this means we will not only have the right apprehensions of god concerning his nature his attributes his relations to man but we will receive and retain the impressions of them in our own life this means you will have orthodoxy and orthopraxis as a christian Correct belief, correct practice, correct knowledge, and correct ethics. And if you don't have both, you are living in a one-sided Christian faith. A Jesus-centered church has both, a side A and a side B. Let's pray. Father God, only in reliance upon your Holy Spirit can we not live in one-sidedness. Only in reliance upon his work in our life can we live holistic lives. Can we see you as a whole God, a God with a side A and a side B, a God 
who you are and what you do go together. They can never be separated. And so as we seek to be a Jesus-centered church, help us to have that in mind as we go out this week. So, Holy Spirit, we can't do this apart from you. We can't just go read some books or listen to another sermon or even this sermon. We need you working in our lives. We need you moving in our hearts to draw us closer and closer to Christ and to help us live as the people of God. So you are able and you are willing. And I pray that you would do it for God's glory and for our benefit. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service? Thank you again, uh, Christina, for leading us today. And if you are a guest, join us for worship. Thank you so much uh, for being with us. Also, the men's study will meet tomorrow at 630 at Panera Bread. And also, ladies, don't forget about the adult Easter egg hunt today at 5 p.m. here at the church. And now here's God's benediction to his beloved people. Grace to you and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please greet one another.